Again, church, it is good to be with you today, and I'm so grateful that you're here and uh, grateful that you chose to be here as well. I just want to also say thanks to Cody uh, this morning for helping us uh, think about the ways in which Christ uh, comes to rescue us. And uh, I'm like Joe, I think uh, it's fascinating how different communion talks always seem to kind of tie things together, and so appreciate Cody doing that this morning. I am really excited today. Um, We're starting a new sermon series, and new sermon series, I've decided for preachers, I think, well, I don't know for every preacher, but for me, are like, kind of like Christmas morning, because it's, it's this, you know, time where uh, there's some anticipation, there's some excitement. I have been thinking about uh, what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks for over a year, and now finally get to talk to you about it and share uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about. We've been studying through the book of Ephesians, as you know, uh, for months, and now we're done with Ephesians and, and going to move on to something else. And we're going to call this series Back to the Bible, uh, which is kind of a little bit of a play on words. We're going to return to the Bible, and also, uh, you know, a lot of times when people want to kind of make a point about something, they say, well, let's go back to the Bible and see what it says, right? So, so maybe you can think about it that way. But the real reason that I want to go back to the Bible is that what I know about the Bible and what you know about the Bible is uh, that it can be a tricky thing to navigate. You may have questions or people may have questions like, where do I start with the Bible? You know, can, can I just open it up and, and move my finger and put my finger down and wherever my finger lands, that's where I start. Can can I do that? Where do I start? Might be a question someone might ask. And then if I do that, as I swirl my finger around and put it down on a page and it happens to land in, you know, the place that I most needed to read, how do I read that verse that I just landed on top of? Is there a certain way to read that verse or does it matter how I read it at all? How do I, how do I share these ancient words with uh, my kids, with my grandkids? How do I share them with uh, my spouse? How do, we, how do we allow these words to shape and form our lives? Um, but the other thing is, too, like, maybe you're like me, and uh, the Bible has proved to be challenging at times in your life, whatever short or long-term relationship you have with the Bible. Uh, maybe, maybe it's hard to study. How, why is it hard to study? And are there better ways to study than other ways, right? Are there certain ways to approach these, these words? And, and I want to just say this morning that if you've ever had questions like that, uh, and I would guess if you have any sort of a relationship with the Bible, then you do have questions like that or, or some version of those questions, right? It's a tricky thing to navigate, and it can be hard to understand and how do I read this author and that author? And what are they meaning and their intent? And what's the context happening in that story and this story? And if you've ever had questions about the Bible or you're not sure where to start with it or you're not sure what to do with it, maybe you've been in church your whole life and you're still not really sure. And you're not really sure at this point you can acknowledge that or admit that, but you're still not really sure what to do with the Bible, then this series is for you. And as I said, I've been planning it since... Uh, at least November of last year, really been thinking about it longer than that. And I want to start this morning by, uh, by saying that um, I want you to realize the nature of a sermon is one, one-sided, but I want you to help shape this series. I, I know where we're going and I know what I want to say over the next uh, couple of months, but I want you to have a space to, to interact with what we're going to be doing. And so uh, as we kind of move forward, if you have questions, if you have uh, comments, things that you want, maybe not so much your comments, but really your questions, uh, Larry, would you put that, uh, that first slide up there? My email address is, is also in the bulletin, but I would love for you to email me your questions. If you don't want me to know your name, you know, you can write it down and uh, drop it, you know, put, I don't know, figure out a way. You can figure out a way to do that anonymously, I guess, but I'm not going to out you or something if you, if you, you know, send me an email or text me if you have my phone number. As we go through this series, though, I would love to know the questions that you have about the Bible. Um, and I'm not, I should say at this point, you already know it, I am not the Bible answer man, uh, and I don't have all the answers, but I would love to know if you have questions about the Bible and maybe, maybe it's something like, what, what is, what's something you've always wondered about, about 
Scripture? What do you find difficult about the Bible? Maybe something else. And again, I know where I'm going, but I would love for your questions to shape some of the sermons in this study. So I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. I'll probably mention that again as we move forward. Um, but I want to I start this morning with uh, a prayer, if you would, just to bow with me. Father, this morning we come uh, grateful for these ancient words that do impart uh, life and wisdom and most of all point us to Jesus Christ, the living word. And I ask God this morning and in the weeks to come that you will uh, help us reimagine and revisit and rethink our relationship to this Bible, these ancient words, that you'll help uh, our hearts be open to what it is that you want us to hear and our eyes to be open to what it is you want us to see. And I pray, God, that you will deepen our love for uh, Scripture, but also deepen our love for Jesus along the way. And I pray that you'll help bring clarity and insight and that you'll help each of us to understand more about this book that we call the Bible as we move forward. I'm grateful this morning, God, for the opportunity to study from it each week, the gift that that is. And it's one that I know we really take for granted because we have it in sort of this nice, neat, uh, leather-bound or electronic form. And it's so familiar to us in our own language. And, uh, but we know that that's not always been the case. And, and many times we don't even think about that, if we're honest. We just expect it to be there and available. And we see it written on our walls or framed up in some picture frame on our, in our house or somewhere else, God. And, and, and we want to take it uh, more seriously, and we want to take Jesus more seriously as well. And we pray you'll help us as we pursue him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So I want to introduce this series uh, today by uh, beginning with the question, why? Why would we do a series on the Bible? Why, why go back to the Bible? So the first thing I'll say is that for thousands of years, the Bible has been uh, a source of inspiration, a source of instruction for many, many people. And, and it's, it's been a tool, uh, most, maybe more than just a, uh, you know, a, a resource or a source of instruction and inspiration. It's been the tool, the primary tool, you could even say, I guess, uh, that has introduced people to Jesus and, to, and led people into a relationship with Jesus where they put their faith in Jesus. And at the same time, so that we know that that is true about the Bible, it's been an inspiration, it's been an encouragement, it's pointed people toward faith. But at the same time, the Bible for many people has been and can be uh, a source of confusion, right? And as I said kind of in the introduction there, well, how do I start? Where do I na- how do I navigate this book? What do I do with that verse? I was, uh, I was telling a few people about this series in, in the days leading up to today and, and had, you know, they said, well, I had a couple people say, I want you to tell me what this verse means, right? Well, I never, I've never understood that verse. It's random. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand how it fits in the whole thing. And, and maybe you've had some of those same questions. And it, so the Bible, while it can be inspirational, it can be encouraging, it certainly points people toward faith in Jesus, it can be confusing, can be hard to understand. And it can be, again, I want to just acknowledge this from the beginning, a source of embarrassment. Because the reality is, especially if you've been in church a long time or you've had kind of a long-standing relationship with the Bible, uh, you probably feel like you should know the Bible better than you do, right? You probably feel like you don't know it well enough. And that might be a source of embarrassment in some ways or just maybe you're just like, I don't, you know, I, I, I probably should know it, but I don't know where to start. Again, it's kind of hard to navigate. And, and so I want to just acknowledge that that's okay, right? And that even with all the good, all the good that has come from these ancient words, it can also be an obstacle to, for faith. There are some people... So maybe you know some, I do, who, will say to, who have said to me and maybe have said to you, I would believe but, right? And then this book becomes the obstacle, the hurdle that they can't quite get over in their pursuit of Jesus Christ. And the challenge in those situations is, is that oftentimes those of us that are already living in faith with Jesus Christ and walking with him, we don't know it better than they do, so we don't know how to help them overcome that hurdle. And we don't know how to na- help them navigate that hurdle that for them is the obstacle that is keeping them from faith in Jesus Christ. And so it can be a stumbling 
block in some ways because people don't, because there is so much history and, and, and you know, language and all the kind of things that, that make it kind of a challenging thing to navigate. And so part of what I want to do in this series, and today's really in many ways kind of an introduction to what we're going to talk about, but I want to do some of the things I want to do are to kind of talk about some of the things that I've just mentioned and how the Bible uh, may, may have tripped people up along the way as they've tried to follow Jesus and, and certainly how it's inspired and encouraged and pointed us to faith in Jesus. But the other reason that I want to do this series is, is that's really important to me um, is, is because of the fact that the Bible is really important to me. I know it's important to me as an individual. It's important to us as a church. Our tradition in Churches of Christ uh, has a long-standing, uh, rich history with the Bible, like most Protestant Christian traditions, right? That, uh, we, but, but in our tradition, we have historically placed a very high value on the Bible. I just finished, as an example, a series studying through the book of Ephesians, and we often do that. We'll study a book every uh, week. You know, there's, there's a sermon text. I, I start Every Sunday, I didn't ironically do it today, and we're starting to talk about the Bible, but every Sunday I start by saying, good morning, I'm grateful that you're here. Would you turn in your Bible to and find the page, right? And, and, and sometimes, you know, there's uh, a phone that gets you know, pulled out and you look it up electronically or maybe an actual printed version of the Bible. But when I say those words every Sunday, they are, you may not even think about it this way, but they are a mental cue that what we are about to do involves the Bible, right? And that it's important because it is going to involve the Bible. It's, we, we believe that it's important. It's a mental cue that we believe it's important to teach and to preach from it each week. And so sermons uh, are rooted in Scripture. I rarely do like just random topical sermons about whatever. Like, and I'm not, that's fine. That's just not my, my I think sermons should be rooted in the, in the text. And so you see that kind of lived out in our, in our context here in church. And as a church, the Bible informs us, right? We, we, uh, the Bible is used uh, to, be, um, to shape what we do, to what, how we, the words we sing and these songs that we sing, um, and, and how we practice certain things. Like this scripture ends up shaping and forming us in all kinds of ways. And so I say all that to say it seems important to me, and part of the reason I've been wanting to do this series for so long is that it seems important to me that for a church that takes the Bible as seriously as we take it, or as seriously as we say that we take it, that we should from time to time go back to it and look again and think about how it works and think about some of the best ways to engage it, hopefully some new ways to engage it, hopefully you learn something along the way. Right? And if I've been successful at the end of this series of sermons, I think you will have a deeper understanding of Scripture, but you'll also have a renewed love for Scripture. And, and if, if I really am successful, and I'm going to you know, kind of give away my, my, the whole point, I'm going to show you all my cards right now, if I'm really successful in this series, my hope is that we will see Jesus more clearly from studying about the Bible and returning back to the Bible because he is the point. There's no reason to kind of hide that if you didn't know it. Jesus is the point, right? Everything here points to here and everything here points back to here. Jesus is the center. Everything points to him. And we'll talk more about what that means and, and all of that as we move forward. But my hope is that, that that will be part of what happens is that we see Jesus more clearly. So I'm excited but I also want to tell you as we begin that I'm a little bit nervous. As I said, I've been planning this series for a long time. And part of the reason that I put it off is because I am a little bit nervous about it. Um, the main reason I'm nervous is because in some ways, I want you just to think about this for a second. In some ways, I think as followers of Christ, Christians are more willing, we tend to be more willing to rethink some of our assumptions about the person of Jesus Christ, right, and have those assumptions, things that we think about Jesus challenged and questioned and critiqued. Uh, what did Jesus teach and what were his priorities, right? What was Jesus like? What did Jesus emphasize? What did the cross mean and the whole thing that he went through on the cross? And we're willing to look at that from different angles and kind of turn Jesus like, or, you know, and kind of, okay, what does Jesus look like if I turn the light this way? And, I, you know, we're willing to think about those kinds of things. 
We're more willing to have our assumptions about Christ challenged than we are, I think, have willing to have our, some of our assumptions about the Bible challenged. I want you to think about that, as, that again. We are more willing to have our assumptions and beliefs and convictions about Jesus challenged than we are about our assumptions, beliefs, and convictions about the Bible challenged, right? I have been in conversations with some of you, and I have said something about the Bible that you didn't agree with, that you thought you saw differently, and, and, it, and it invoked in you this sense of, and I haven't had this conversation with many of you, but I've had it with a lot of other people in my life, it evo- evokes in people uh, this sense of frustration, maybe anxiety, maybe even anger, because they're not really sure. Well, how could you see that that way, right? But I could say something crazy about Jesus and about his humanity, right? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus might have had acne, right? He was human, right? What if Jesus had a pimple, you know? And something as silly as that, right? And you would go, well, I guess it's possible, but he, he was human after all, and he was just like us in every way. And most of us, unless you are perfect, haven't, have had acne, right? So maybe it's possible, right? And you could say something just outlandish like that, which is a really silly example, and, and maybe you think, okay, well, that, you know, I don't know if he did, but I'm okay with Doug saying that. And I could say something about the Bible that you've never considered before, right? And because it's about the Bible, you, you receive it, we receive it almost defensively at times. How dare he say that about, I've never thought about it that way, right? And so you can imagine, as the preacher preparing to talk about the Bible over the next several weeks, this is the reality and the kind of the tension that I've been living with as, as I just wrestle with what I think is our reality. We are more willing to consider and rethink and you know, examine what we think and believe and, and assume and know about Jesus than oftentimes than we are about the Bible. And so my hope is that that will be clarified, and that's kind of where my nervousness comes from and the question that i'm wondering i guess as i think about that is can we take will you take a new look at scripture the way that you do jesus every single week right so just for the next several weeks can we look at scripture in an attempt to try to bring some fresh perspective to it and so that's that's the really long answer to why do a series like this now i want to begin because there will inevitably be in a few weeks something that I will say about the Bible that will make you defensive. And you will think, well, Doug doesn't even care about the Bible, you know? And so I wanted, I thought, you know, just to kind of acknowledge that and, and move on from it, I thought a good way to start today would be uh, by showing you some of the Bibles that I have had and I've used in my lifetime. And I've actually brought them up here with me this morning. This Bible uh, was a Bible that I was given as a young teenager. And um, it's the Bible that I used all during my years in youth group and, uh, and probably junior high and high school. A funny, you know, and I have little things I've underlined and things that I, I remember, you know, hearing in Bible classes or whatever uh, whenever I was paying attention. I know the teenagers don't pay attention to me every Sunday. But uh, whenever I was paying attention, you know, I might, I might have underlined something or noticed something. One of the funny things about this Bible, uh, somewhere along the way, this is especially funny in light of the series that I just, uh, interesting, in light of the series that we just preached in Ephesians, uh, we were studying Ephesians and the armor of God, and I noticed as I went back to look at this Bible, I wrote in pencil the word sword on the, the, like the letters of this Bible, because it's the sword of the Spirit, is what Ephesians talks about, right? But then as I was looking at that, I noticed there's, you can't see it. You're welcome to look at it after church if you want, if you're really, really that interested in it. Um, I noticed as I saw the word sword that there's some like discoloration on the pages of this, of this Bible. And that reminded me uh, that I took this Bible on a mission trip when I was in high school. And someone's bag burst and their head and shoulders shampoo spilled all over this Bible and it's actually stained the pages of the Bible. And so, you know, that was kind of a memory. And then I was kind of flipping through it. And, uh, and I, don't, I, I apologize that I have to confess this in front of my wife, but I don't actually know who did this, but some girl wrote, Hi, Dougie, on the inside cover of my Bible. And um, I have no idea how that got there. But clearly I was focusing on the things of the Lord, right? So 
showing the girls I was, I was you know, all about the Bible and I was impressed. And I, in, in, in all seriousness, though, this is really kind of the first Bible I remember taking seriously. I, I remember, I'm spending the mo- probably the most time on it because of that. And uh, I remember that one of the mission trips we, we went on, we had to memorize uh, Philippians chapter 2 in order to go on the mission trip. Our youth minister wouldn't let us go on the mission trip unless we memorized Philippians chapter 2. And, uh, and so I memorized Philippians chapter 2 from this Bible. So that, that's, that's a Bible that's really, has been really important to me. The second Bible that I want to show you uh, was the Bible I used in college. This actually was given to me uh, as on Senior Sunday when I was graduating from high school. The, the front cover is, has come off of this Bible, but I keep it because I used it all through uh, my four years and undergraduate, uh, getting my undergraduate degree. I went on a mission trip I've told some stories about before. I spent one entire summer when I was in college working with some missionaries in Thailand. And uh, the thing that everybody did was they went and got their Bible painted. So on the front, elephants are kind of a symbol of Thailand. And so I have this elephant that was it used to be really bright and beautifully colored, and it's really faded now. But I didn't want to lose that cover because it's got that elephant on it. Uh, this Bible, probably, I would say... Um, Man, there's, this is really where I learned, I learned to love the Bible. I, I, I went to college to get a degree and to in the Bible. I got a Bible degree. And so I would use this in classes and uh, had professors and teachers uh, open my eyes to things that I'd never seen. And, and I, f- I really fell in love with Jesus first, honestly, studying this Bible. I think he came to life for me as I read these words on these particular pages. And so... Uh, I didn't think I was going to get emotional, but this this Bible really is is probably the my mo, my, you know most significant to me. It's it's worn out. It's got thumb grease on it, I guess, or something. It's like discolored, you know, here in the middle where I just would turn the pages, uh, and so it's really important. After I got a job uh, as a youth minister, and then uh, and and I, I was writing a lot of small group curriculum, I had this. Uh, this study Bible that I used a lot, and it mostly it didn't get, go around with me. It stayed in my office or stayed at the house. But on the margins of, of every page are discussion questions that go with the the scriptures. And so, man, if I was writing a discussion, you know, a Bible study of some kind on some passage, I would always go and see what questions they were asking, and and I would look at this. So I've used this one as a resource mostly as a reference Bible. And then this Bible is, is uh, also really important to me because when Lana and I, when, uh, when I took the job here as the preacher in Kaufman, I decided, I don't really know why I did this, I think it was kind of a bad idea, honestly, I abandoned uh, this Bible that I had been using for years and I decided, you know what, we're getting a new start in Kaufman, it's a fresh opportunity and new things God's going to do and so I'm going to start over with a new Bible. And you didn't know this, but there would be Sundays, I could... I could. I read this Bible enough that I could kind of picture where certain passages were on certain pages, and then I would. There would be Sundays early on in our time in Kaufman where I would get up and be, you know, turn to Matthew chapter whatever, and you would turn and Matthew chapter whatever wasn't where I had imagined it being, you know, uh, because so this I I kind of relearned the Bible in a lot of ways with this Bible because that one had been used for really for probably ten years or so, uh, and so maybe more than 10 years, really, I don't even know, but a long time. And, uh, and so I used this Bible for the first six, six and a half years that, that I was uh, preaching here in Kaufman, and it just, the binding just, just didn't hang on. It's just, I, if I, I'm afraid if I just held it by the leather, it would actually fall out. Uh, so I decided to retire it, and this, kind of, this stuff kind of started coming off, and, and I decided to retire it, and I got my second Kaufman Church of Christ Bible that I've been preaching out of for the last year and a half or so. And uh, so far, it's holding up okay. But part of the reason is because I use now, unless I'm preaching or teaching, I use my laptop a lot or I use my phone, like probably like a lot of you do. I still like bringing my actual Bible up here. Um, and, and just because I think that matters some for some reason, maybe to me only, I don't know if it matters to you. I don't care how you read the Bible, but I like to actually have the physical copy, you know, right there in my hands. And I tell you all of that, again, because I want to convey to you as we begin how important the Bible is to me. And at every turn in my life, it has shaped my life. 
uh, it has been an incredibly important thing to me. It's, it was so important. I mentioned to you I was studying using one of those Bibles as I got my Bible degree. It was so important I decided to go back and get a second college degree in Bible. So I've spent, I counted up, I think, 11 years total uh, studying this book formally for, you know, as, a, as an education. And, and so I want to say all that because I want you to hear me say the Bible matters deeply to me. Uh, it, is, it is more important than any other collection of books has ever been. It, it, you know, it's, I realize that there are words on these pages that come off the page and they, don't, they read in a way that's different than your Sports Illustrated or your newspaper or whatever else you like to read, right? And so through my years of relationship with the Bible, though it's very important to me, my, my relationship with the Bible has also changed. It's been challenged. And at different points in my life, maybe like you, I've seen the Bible as kind of a magic book. You know, if I just had that magic verse or maybe a rule book about how I was supposed to follow the certain thing or follow a certain path, live a certain way, a guidebook, uh, maybe a self-help book. It's been used in lots of ways. And we'll talk about some about how we, what we should expect from the Bible, right, uh, in the coming weeks. But today I want to share really one big idea about the Bible that has changed the way that I read the Bible. And it's really the reason for this stage design behind me. And that is this, that the Bible is not a book. I know it looks like a book, uh, and it's bound like a book, and it has pages like a book, uh, it has page numbers like a book. But the Bible is, is not a book, it is really a collection of books. It's a, a library, you could even call it, a collection of books. It's a small library, but it's a library of ancient books. And behind me, again, are these 66 books of the Bible. And if you're noticing the little subtleties and why preacher, I get kind of weirded out and excited about the red are the Gospels, the red letters of Jesus, in case you didn't pick that up. I wouldn't want you to miss that all this entire series, right? This is not just, this is not just uh, one book. It's a collection of 66 books, a library of ancient books. And the last of these books was written almost 2,000 years ago. Just a few facts about the Bible that I think are important for you to know. There's 66 ancient books, right, written over a span of 1,500 years, 1,500 B.C. uh, to the end of the first century A.D., written by approximately 40 different authors and editors, written in three different ancient languages. And and all of those, all the books that are collected use three very different languages styles of literature. And I want to watch a video that I think gives a great summary of the different styles of literature in the Bible. And it comes from a great uh, online resource that you can access yourself called the Bible Project. And so let's just take a couple of minutes and let's watch this video and it'll explain it a lot better than I could. One unified story from beginning to end. But all those books were written in different literary styles. Yeah, think of it like walking into a bookstore where every aisle has a different kind of literature. There's history or poetry or nonfiction. And when you choose an aisle and pick up a book, you're going to have very different expectations, different things that you're looking for. Right, they're all literature, but they communicate in really different ways. Yes, and so the same thing is true for the Bible. If you don't pay attention to what style it's written in, you will miss out on the brilliance of each book. So what are the main types of literature in the Bible? Well, first and foremost is narrative. It makes up a whopping 43% of the Bible. After that is poetry, which is 33% of the Bible. And then there's what you could call prose discourse, which makes up the remaining 24%. Nearly half the Bible is narrative. Yes, and this is no accident. Stories are the most universal form of human communication. Our brains are actually hardwired to take in information through story. And stories are really enjoyable. Why is that? Well, stories train us to make sense of the seemingly random events that happen in life by taking those events and then putting them in a sequence. And then together you can start to see the meaning and purpose of it all. And what links this all together? Well, good stories always have a character who wants something. And then through these characters, an author can explore life's big questions like who are we or what's really important in life. 
And a good story always involves some kind of conflict. Some challenge to overcome, just like in our own lives. And that forces us to think about our own challenges, why there's so much pain or disappointment in the world, and then what can we do about it? And stories usually end with some kind of resolution, giving us hope for our own stories. Since these are Bible stories, are the characters showing me how I should live? Yeah, that's not quite the point. Most Bible characters are deeply flawed. You should not be like them. But we are supposed to see ourselves in them, which helps us then see our lives and failures from a new perspective. And without even realizing it, these stories will start to mess with you and change how you see the world and other people and yourself. Now, there are different types of narrative in the Bible. Yeah, there's historical narrative, but also narrative parables, short biographical narratives like the four Gospels. We'll look at all these in later videos. Okay, next up is poetry, which honestly, I don't read a lot of. Yeah, you're like most people. But one out of every three chapters in the Bible is poetry. Yeah, why so much poetry? Well, poems mainly speak through dense, creative language, linking together images to help us envision the world differently. Poems use lots of metaphor to evoke your emotions and your imagination. Lots of fancy language, but wouldn't it be easier just to tell me what I need to know? Well, think about it. In life, we tend to form mental ruts, and we think in these familiar, well-worn paths that are very hard to get out of through logic or reasoning. And what good poetry does is force you off the familiar path into new territory. Sneaky. And there's different types of poetry in the Bible. There's lots of types of songs or psalms. There's the reflective poetry of the wisdom books and then the passionate resistance poetry of the prophets. Okay, the last big literary type is called prose discourse, and it makes up a quarter of the Bible. Yeah, these are speeches, letters, or essays. And the focus here is building a sequence of ideas or thoughts into one linear argument that requires a logical response. Like, hey, have you thought about this thing? You should also consider how it connects to this other thing. And if you do, then you will see that this is the result. And in light of that conclusion, therefore, you should probably stop doing that one thing so that this other thing will be the outcome. So you're persuading me with reason. Yeah, discourse forces you to think logically and consistently and then do something about it. Biblical discourse is found in law collections, in wisdom literature, and the letters written by the apostles. Okay, so each book of the Bible has one literary style. No, actually most books have a primary literary style, like narrative, for example. But then embedded in the narrative, you'll come across poems or parables or a collection of laws. Every biblical book is a unique combination of literary styles. And to read that book well, I need to be familiar with each literary type and how it works. Yeah, so you know what to pay attention to and what questions you should ask. But before we look at each type, there's one more unifying feature of biblical literature that's really important and really cool, and that's what we'll explore next. So if you didn't catch all that or you, are, you want to keep exploring it on your own, you can go to uh, YouTube or Google The Bible Project and uh, Literary Styles is the name of that video, but uh, there's a lot, I know a lot there. I want to share a quote that I think kind of summarizes that video. I like the way this writer said it. It said, The primary challenge for modern people reading the books from an ancient library isn't deciding what parts of the Bible to take literally, but learning how to read all the different books out of the Bible literately. Reading and interpreting the books of the Bible according to their literary type and style. So the point of that quote is, is this, that uh, the type of literature you're reading in the Bible influences how you read it, right? and then also how you apply it. So hopefully that, that video gives you some idea kind of about the complexity, which is I'm really trying to set up the problem today so that we have a problem to, to resolve as we move forward. And, and it, hopefully that video gives you some idea about the complexity of the Bible and the need to read it as a library instead of as a single book. Because if you read it as a single book, right, one of the pitfalls of that is that it can be tempting and easy to do, but it, can, it flattens, if you read it as a single book, it flattens all of these different books that are a collection into easily referenced Bible verses that you can then gather and combine and stack on top of each other to make the Bible say anything that you want it to say. The books of the Bible were divided into chapters they weren't even the, the chapters that you and I know of weren't even 
in, you know, added to the, the written text of the Bible until the 1200s. And verses weren't added until like the 1500s. So for most of history, the Bible has not been accessible in the way that you and I understand it and see it and access it today. But the thing is that while chapters and verses make the Bible more accessible, uh, it also makes it really easy to proof text, the word proof text. Most of you have heard that word, but in case you haven't, it just means taking a, taking a verse completely out of context, like cherry-picking it out of the middle of the story that it's in and slapping it onto something. And sometimes this is okay, and a lot, and a lot of times it can be harmful. Uh, I have a, a memory, you know, as a child of some poster that I saw somewhere of a football player, you know, bowing his head in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, slapped on the front of that thing. And I'm sure that it did not do any, you know, uh, harm or damage that couldn't have been repaired but I don't think that's what Paul meant when he wrote Philippians 4.13. And so the question that we have to wrestle with is, does that matter? Or can we just kind of willy-nilly slap verses on whatever we want to slap them on? And so we'll talk some about that. But the, challenge, the reality is you can, you can make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say. You know, make it do your bidding. Well, I want to live this way, right? Here's the verses that I'll support to do what I want to do, Right? Make the Bible roll over and flat, you know, fetch. Uh, you can make the Bible stand on its hind legs and dance a jig if you want to, if that's the game you want to play. And if, if we wanted, just as a couple of examples, if you wanted, you could probably line up more verses in the Bible that appear to support slavery, something like slavery, uh, than verses that specifically condemn slavery. Let me say it that way. And yet, we understand and we believe, right, that the message of the gospel revealed in the Bible completely undermines the practice and institution of slavery. So how do we come to those kinds of conclusions? Another example, in July 1933, during Hitler's first summer in power, a young German pastor named Joachim Hosenfelder preached a sermon and he preached this sermon in the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church. And Joachim got up. It was Berlin's most important church at the time. And you may or may not know that at the time of world, the World War breaking out, Germany was one of the most Christian nations in the entire world, right? And these kinds of things happen. This, jo- this pastor Joachim stands up in Berlin's most important church, and he uses the Bible, specifically Romans 13, reminding worshipers to, uh, of the importance to obey those in authority. And the church was elaborately decorated with Nazi banners and stormtrooper flags, its pews packed with the Nazi party faithful. And, and, and so they, they embraced this teaching because they were seeing it through the, uh, through the wrong filter, right? So you can go back to the Bible and use it to say anything that you want it to say. People will use the phrase, the Bible clearly says blank, right? You can can use the Bible to support all kinds of things. What you believe socially, scientifically, politically, theologically, you you can use the Bible to support all of those things. But because of this, the Bible can be used. And I'm just wanting to make sure we're clear to do a lot of harm. It's been used to start wars of conquest, you know, to, to make arguments about capital punishment, women being held as property, right? All these things have been used and justified by the Bible. So reading the Bible as an ancient library of books written by a bunch of different people living in a bunch of different times and different places instead of as a singular book um, encourage us, encourages us to use the phrase the Bible says with great care if we use it at all. Because the Bible says a lot of things, again, depending on what parts you pick out and emphasize and what parts you choose to ignore. So one of the just visual things that I want to do, I want to have you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. And during this series, whenever I turn to a passage in the Bible, I'm actually going to go to our bookshelf and I'm going to pull Deuteronomy off of the bookshelf. And I'm going to look in Deuteronomy chapter 20. This, this book, Deuteronomy, was written at a crucial time in Israel's history. And uh, it includes these words. Again, I'm just wanting us to get a sense of some of the things that are in the Bible. This is what Deuteronomy 
20, verses 1 through 4 says, When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. So that's Deuteronomy chapter 20. Another book, Matthew, the first book on the right side of the cross. Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 5 these words. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So I share those two passages of Scripture in the fifth book of of the Bible and the first book of the New Testament of the Bible because now we have two different books right in this collection of books this library of books appearing to say two different things about how we relate to our enemies and so the question is when you come upon a problem like this and if 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 i'm making the bible a problem for you and it wasn't i want to apologize but i actually think you'll be a a a better follower of christ as you understand and how to interact with this ancient text but when you come upon a problem like this the question is how do i resolve the difference or the tension, right, between these two seemingly different things. One says that we're supposed to love our enemies. One says we're supposed to go to war with our enemies. Which am I supposed to do? And you could say, well, one applies to uh, a group of people and one applies to an individual, and that's part of the conversation that always happens when you have this kind of discussion, right? These are the kind of things we're going to talk about. And it might be obvious to you as you hear those two places read, and you think, well, I know which one to go with. Right? When in doubt, go with the ones that are in, in red. Go with the letters that are in red. But for many people, and people that are a part of your life, that's the thing. It isn't obvious. For, so this series might be for them. You might invite someone that you've had a conversation with that has had a struggle with Scripture. But it's not just for other people. It's also for you and for me. And I, I talk to people all the time. This week, I had a conversation with someone uh, that is not in this room that has had real questions about the Bible and what the Bible said about something that was going on in their life. And my hope is that over the next several weeks we can learn together better ways to read Scripture so that we can handle it in mature, responsible ways and ultimately be better disciples of Jesus Christ. And I want us to know these words, right? This is a really big deal to me because I see all the time on social media and other things well-meaning Christians kind of jumping into the fray saying the Bible says certain things about certain topics on their particular issue, right? A bunch of different Christians say a bunch of different things about the, what the Bible says about this topic or that topic, and it creates confusion. And so my hope is that we'll understand the Bible so that we can love the Bible more and that we will learn to sit, we'll want to sit with it, we'll want to read it, we'll want to listen to it so that it will be more familiar. This is a particularly important thing, I think, that we do also for our children and our grandchildren because I want to make the Bible more accessible to the next generation. I don't want to make it a stumbling block or a hard thing. Can we pass on to other generations this collection of ancient books so that the next generation's lives are changed by it, right? And again, I'm not trying to make it more challenging than it already may be, and at the same time, I want to make it, I I think making it accessible starts with being honest, and so that's why I wanted to do that today. One of the most amazing characteristics of the Bible, just in closing, is that despite being written over 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors in three different languages, right, in multiple literary styles, despite all of that, the Bible tells, as a whole, tells a unified story about how God engages a particular group of people for the sake of the entire world. That is what the Bible does. It, it tells a unified story about how God engages a particular group of people for the sake of the world. The Bible does not have every answer to every question. 
but it does contain answers to life's most important questions. Who are we? Why are we here? What's wrong, right? What's the solution? And what I know and what you know is that the solution's name is Jesus Christ. And I want us to love Jesus again and to fall in love with Him again or maybe discover Jesus for the first time. Because for me, church, this is the thing. This is why I want to do, the, I want, I want to do this series. For me, and I know for many of you, Jesus is not just words on a page. Jesus is not just words on a page. Students, if we could convey anything to you, we want you to know that Jesus is not just words on a page. Jesus is the living word of God that came to life. I, I know him personally, though I have never actually physically touched him. I know him personally, right? I have met with Jesus like many of you have as well. I have spent time with Jesus, even though I've never physically been in his presence. I have talked with Jesus, even though I've never actually gotten to hear his voice, though I can't wait to hear it. Right? I met with him first in written word. But then, somewhere along the journey, through all of those written words, he became as real to me as you are right here in, in my presence. And, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself again. But it is Him that we are after in this study. Because everything points to Him. Everything this way points to Him, and everything after Him points back to Him. And that will be a crucial, central theme as we move forward. For thousands of years, God's people have come and read the different books in this ancient library. And they discovered the most amazing thing as they read. They discovered that the library is actually more than just words written by humans. It is... God. It's God's word to humanity, which is to say the Bible isn't just a random collection of ancient books about God. It is an ancient library of books inspired by God, breathed by God. This idea comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3. You're welcome to turn to or you can just listen to. And this is what we're going to start off with next week. Paul writes to a person named Timothy and wrote these words. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, you might be interested to know, an important note, that is one of the few verses in this collection of books that, in the Bible that actually talk about the Bible. Those two verses, right? And that's where we'll begin next week. God breathe. What does it mean when the Bible says that it is inspired, that it is God breathe? I want to encourage you again to, rem to remember to text me or email me your questions. And I'm excited about walking this journey together. And I hope that we discover Jesus, the person of Jesus that Scripture points to more fully and completely along the way. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for you and that you revealed yourself to us through the written word so that we could come to know the living word Jesus Christ and we pray this morning God that you will uh, open our hearts and minds over these next few weeks as we rediscover uh, the Bible as we think together about its significance and, and its impact on our lives both now and in the future we're grateful that we have it that we have it in our language that we have it accessible we have it in lots of translations and we pray that you'll continue to be with those people who are translating the Bible around the world uh, to people groups that still don't even have it in their own language. And we ask that you'll help uh, them, give them energy and strength and perseverance to, the, to do those tasks. God, we uh, are grateful for the ways that you've used these words to change lives, and we want our lives to be changed again through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. And the church said... Amen. This morning, I realize this morning's sermon is a little unique. It may not be uh, like all the other sermons in providing a natural way to respond, but it may be that, that you have this morning something that's going on in your life that has nothing to do with anything that I've taught about, and you just need people to pray for you. And if that's the case, we always want to provide a time for that. And so whether it's here, I'll be down here, down front, or you find someone around you, there'll be an elder in the back. Please respond and receive prayer. Uh, if you need that before we leave, let's do that while we sing this next song.
I found my Lord and he is mine. He won me by his love. I'll serve him all my years of time and dwell with him above. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. I found it so, I found it so. His service is my sweetest delight. His blessings ever flow. No other Lord but Christ I know. I walk with Him alone. His streams of love forever flow within my heart his throne his yoke is easy his burden is light i found it so i found it so his service is my sweetest delight his blessings ever flow. I've tried the road of sin and found its prospects all deceive. I proved the Lord and joys abroad more than I could be. I found it so, I found it so. Its service is my sweetest delight. His blessings ever flow. It's been good to be with you today. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for uh, the beginning of this series. Uh, I think that's going to be a great series. Thank you, Dougie. It's great. Go ahead and be seated. We're going to have our, our shepherd's prayer. First, um, I, I want to say something else about the marriage seminar. Uh, and this is, I'm saying this on behalf of the elders uh, to encourage you to um, to come and and benefit from that you know I have a garden at home and I don't have to go and do anything to it to ruin it all 